take out your Bibles. We're going to 2 Samuel chapter 11 and take out your smartphone Bibles. Hopefully you bring something to church. If you're a Christian and you love Jesus, bring your Bible to church. 2 Samuel chapter 11, we're going to talk about um, the, one, of the, one of the biggest epic fails in the Bible. And we're also going to look at, as you saw, we're going to look at cultural failures. 2000, 2012 seemed to give us one epic fail after another. And one of those big ones was David Petraeus. We'll get to him in just a moment. But one of the things that I love about the Bible, as you turn to 2 Samuel chapter 11, one of the things that I love about the Bible is that the Bible re refuses to gloss over anybody's life, to hide anybody's mistakes. It's the holiest book of all. We, we, we call it the holy book, the good book. And, and, and it's filled with one failure after another. You know, you start right off the bat, Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve are in paradise with God. They've got everything provided for. It's perfect. Has anybody ever been to the Bahamas? Anybody ever been to Aruba? Like times 10. That was their eternity. That was what they were destined for for all time. To walk with God, talk with God, love God, know God, be with God. And they trade all that in because they listen to a snake. I, I think that's got to be the epic fail of the universe. Because you got on one side, you got God, creator of all, loving, gracious, compassionate, Beaming with light, beautiful, gorgeous, wonderful, you know, just God of gods, Lord of lords, creator of the universe. And on the other side, you got a little snaky guy. And you're going to sit there and say, I would listen, let, let me listen to somebody here today. Let me look at God this way. And there's God in all his glory. And then there's a little snake. And you're going to be like, I'm going to listen. I'm going to go with the slithery one. <laughs> Epic fail, right? <laughs> like, who does that? Here you go. <laughs> Don't listen to it. Then you got people like uh, Noah. Noah, who saves humanity from extinction. He's the only one righteous, the only one that finds favor with God. And he saves humanity with the ark. He spends 150 years building it. He spends 40 days in it. And then a lot of time waiting for the waters to recede. So it actually longer than 40 days. He gets out of the ark. And the first thing the Bible tells us to do, that he does, right after the ark, he plants a vineyard. He gets drunk on his wine, and he falls out, passed out, drunk, naked in his tent. Now, I went to Sunday school hearing about Noah. That was never on the flannel graph. <laughs> I never saw that. Then you have uh, Abraham, and Abraham sleeps with his wife's servant. And you know, historians will agree, biblical historians will agree, that, we, that, that one night stand with Hagar. That one night stand produced the Muslim people. I mean, that, that, now the Muslims will say the opposite, but we understand that the reason why there is never going to be peace in the Middle East is because of that one sexual encounter. Epic, epic fail. And you got Moses. Moses would, if Moses ha would fill out an application for the, to pastor any church in America, you know he would be, he would be resoundingly rejected because he killed the guy. He was a murderer. He had a conviction on his record. People would be like, uh, we know about the miracles and we know about the food and the man of remember, but you killed somebody. So we're going to go with the other guy. <laughs> you know, that's epic failure. And then he doesn't even get into the promised land. After leading these complaining Israelites for 40 years in the middle of nowhere, he doesn't get into the promised land. Why not? Because he failed to honor God. 
in the sight of Israel. This is Moses, the God-honoring. He invented God-honoring. And, and, and he just has that epic failure. And on and on and it goes. Jephthah, who makes a rash vow to God and ends up having to sacrifice his daughter. And Samson, who has a lust problem and tells his secrets to too many women and it costs him his life. On and on and on and on. The Bible refuses to sanitize itself. The Bible refuses to hide the, 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 the goods on people. The Bible refuses to make it seem like that the people who were used by God and the people who followed God were perfect. The Bible refuses it. That's why, as a pastor, I get a little bit concerned when people say, I could never go to church. Church is for good people. Church is for moral people. Um, have you ever read our book? Because it's not filled with good people. It's filled with a lot of bad people that God redeemed by grace. And then you have Jesus. He shows up after, after 4,000 years of human history, and he lives a perfect life. And so what do all the failures have to do? They kill him. We can't have a perfect guy hanging around. He makes us all look bad. But we know that that was God's purpose, foreknowledge and, and, and purpose from the beginning, to redeem us. General David Petraeus. Big time epic fail in 2012. Man, I, I was looking at his record and uh, studying up on him a little bit this week. This guy had a rocket ship rise to the top. I mean, rocket ship. He got into West Point. You know, some of you, you try to get into the military academies. He got into West Point. He didn't just get into West Point. He graduated with honors. He graduated in the top 5% of his graduating class at West Point. Served in our armed forces for 37 years, just went from one rank to another. Have you ever seen the pictures of him in his uniform? And he's got all those, those things, those awards, those accolades, just like this big and this wide. That's him. And he just accumulated this record of achievement that no one had seen before. Four-star general. He oversaw two wars. He oversaw and won two wars for the United States Army. Uh, he was unanimously confirmed by the United States Senate to head the CIA. I want to repeat that. He was unanimously selected by our Senate. Our Senate. When does our Senate ever unanimously agree about anything? And they all said, yep, thumbs up, he's the guy. Take, take over the most important anti-terrorism organization in the world. Right before the scandal broke, the New York Times did a piece on David Petraeus' record. It's stellar. He had people saying about him that he refused to allow substandard work. He would have people go all the way back to the drawing board and draw it up so it would be perfect. He would have meetings with his, his staff. He would have this photographic memory about meetings that took place months ago. And would say, hey, remember six months ago when you said that you would have this project done by today? Yeah, where is it? And people would be like, we didn't even know you were listening. We were just saying stuff. He was a wonderful, spotless success story. The deputy director of the CIA said in the New York Times piece, he said, I have never seen anyone with this much drive in my life. That was David Petraeus. Then November 2012 comes around. Scandal having an affair with his biographer. Now, we know that his life, just because of the affair, would have been wrecked. You would be wrecked, we would be wrecked, we would be devastated, our wives would be devastated, our children would be devastated, our families, our extended families, the friends, the families that we know. But this is national. 
And you know us Americans, we love to lift you up and we love to tear you down. And this guy just went through the ringer, just nailed to the wall, tabloids, articles in the newspaper, nonstop, 24-hour cable news networks just talking it up. And then we know how it goes. Jay Leno chimes in. David Letterman chimes in. Conan chimes in. Saturday Night Live chime in. This guy goes from stellar success to dismal failure. Epic fail overnight because of one bad relationship. Moral failure has claimed the lives and legacies of millions of people. We're doing this series because I know that many of you have learned your greatest lessons from your greatest failures, right? I mean, how many, how many of you would say that? Uh, that you had to go through some stuff, but the biggest stuff that you ever learned was because you went through some bad failures, yes? Yes? How many know that was hard? Like you, you, go, you could do it over again, you wouldn't do it. You had to learn the hard way. But we're doing this series because as, as, as beneficial as it, is, can, as it can be to learn from other people's epic failures, it's so much easier to learn from somebody else's epic failure. And so that's what we're doing. And when I thought about David Petraeus, I thought about another general named David. He was a general in God's army. He rose, rocket ship rise, right to the top. From the most obscure beginnings, a shepherd from Bethlehem. Youngest of seven brothers, not even selected to be king by his father. God anoints him king. This guy at the age of 17 has killed a lion and killed a bear with his bare hands. Any 17-year-old's done that? <laughs> he takes down Goliath with a stone and a sling. Wins a mighty military victory. They start singing songs about David. Do you understand that you, are got, you have got to be a seriously popular figure for the nation to start singing about you? Like, we like to sing Justin Bieber songs, but nobody's singing about Justin Bieber. This guy was celebrated and renowned. And then he just goes from one battle to the next, wins them all. His, his own boss wants to get him killed by his enemies, sends him to like the hardest place to fight. He comes back, he won. Over and over and over again, David wins, David wins, David wins. Just like General Petraeus, wins, wins, wins. It was like he never failed. Gets all the way to the top, to the pinnacle of success. Got a nation that loves him. Family that adores him. He's got a record of righteousness. A man after God's own heart has written psalms and scripture. But then one bad relationship. One bad relationship from the pinnacle, he went down to the bottom of the pit. And that's what we're going to talk about right now. Check, uh, chapter 11 of Samuel, 2 Samuel. There are two books of Samuel. And here's what it says. Verse 1. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. Now, one of the things you got to know about David is that he was a military general, and here's the thing about his record. He never lost a single battle. Not, not war. I'm talking about battle. He never lost a battle. And so right there again, here he is winning. 
But it says David remained at Jerusalem. His, his army is trained enough. He's got great men underneath him. He doesn't need to go to every fight, so he's staying in, at home. Verse 2. It happened late one afternoon when David rose from his couch and he was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman, and one said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness. Then she returned her to her house, and the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. Uh-oh. So David sent word to Joab and said, send Uriah the Hittite. And so Joab goes and sends Uriah to David. I want to just summarize a little bit of the story. We'll pick it back up in chapter 12. David brings Uriah into his house. He's got to cover this thing up, and, and he goes to great lengths. So he brings Uriah in. He says, how's the war going? How's Joab? How are you fighting? Oh, things are going well. Things are going good. You know God's giving us success. God is good. He says, that's great. Hey, why don't you go home and take the night for yourself? The Bible says he sends him home with a gift. I imagine that was champagnes and chocolates. <laughs> and he's just expecting this is just going to go how it goes. He's been on the road for a long time. This is going to take care of itself. Uriah doesn't have... I mean, Uriah has so much honor and, and care for God's army. He doesn't go to his house. He sleeps on the street. And, and, and David hears about it. He says, why didn't you go home? He says, look, my, my fellow compatriots, they're at battle right now. The ark of God is at war right now. How can I go home and make love to my wife when all that's happening? This guy's got serious integrity. This guy's got serious honor. And David is just like, man, he's making me look bad. So David brings him over again for another night. And this time he liquors him up. He gets him drunk, the Bible says. This is David now. He's thinking, all right, I will grease the skids. I will use liquor if necessary. And he gets him all drunk and sends him home and says, all right, now go, go home. Go have a good night. And he falls asleep on the couch with David's servants. He doesn't go home again. He doesn't sleep with his wife. Now David is desperate. And you know why David is so desperate? It's because of who Bathsheba is. Bathsheba is the wife of Uriah. Uriah is one of David's 30 mighty men. Many of you might know that story, 30 mighty men of David who did so many exploits for him. But there's something else about Bathsheba. You know why the Bible has all those chronologies listed in all those, you know, First Chronicles and Genesis, a lot of chronologies, so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, and so-and-so begat, so-and-so, right? Why is that there? Well, you can find out who people are through those chronologies. Bathsheba is the granddaughter of David's most trusted mentor. So he's got to save face with some serious people. So he gets desperate and he sends Uriah back to the battlefield with a note in his hand. And the note says, Joab, put Uriah in the front of the army at the hardest fighting, then withdraw from him so that he may be struck down. Desperate message. Joab, unbelievably, just complies. He puts him right where he's going to get killed. They draw back. He gets killed. Joab sends the news back to David. Says we lost the battle. The first battle David ever lost. And Uriah's dead, so Joab sends the messenger and says, and when David gets mad that we lost the battle, you make sure to tell him that Uriah the Hittite is dead. And the guy goes back to David and says, look, we lost the battle, but Uriah the Hittite is dead. And David says, well, the sword devours one as well as the other. Just strengthen your forces and go at it again. Wow. Epic, 
epic fail. Picking it back up, verse 26 of chapter 11, here's what it says. When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she lamented over her husband. And when the morning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David did had displeased the Lord. Chapter 12, picking it right back up. Verse 1. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. Nathan was the prophet of Israel. There, there's always a prophet and a king in Israel. Prophet, priest, and kings in Israel. So the prophet, Nathan, he goes to David, and here's what he says. He, he tells him a story. He says, David, I got a story for you. There were two men in a certain city. The one was rich and the other one was poor. The rich one had many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb which he had brought up. And he brought it up and it grew up with him and his children. He used, it used to eat of his morsels and drink from his cup and lie in his arms. He wasn't even going to eat the, eat, he wasn't even going to eat this sheep. He loved the sheep like a daughter, it says. Verse 4, now there came to the rich man a traveler and he, the rich man, was unwilling to take one of his many flocks to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb, the one lamb of the poor man, and he prepared it for the man who had come to him. In verse 5, Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. He said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. He shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing because he had no pity. In verse 7, Nathan said to David, you are the man. He tells him what he did. Epic, epic failure. The scholars, his biblical historians, even if you read the Bible after 2 Samuel chapter 12, you will find that from that moment forward, David's life becomes very complicated. It becomes very dangerous for David. It, 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 he has just a series of headaches, one after another. That's what sin will do to you. Sin will complicate your life. And especially when it comes to a moral failure that, that, that you really blow it and it's big time. And it's like, I'm here to tell you, don't, don't disregard this. Learn from General Petraeus. Learn from General David of the Bible so that you don't follow in the same footsteps. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 9, it says, stolen water is refreshing. This is talking about adultery. Stolen water is refreshing, and food eaten in secret tastes the best. Oh, yeah. Oh, it tastes the best when you're eating it. But then it says this, little do they know that the dead are there. Her guests are in the depths of the grave. Learn from David. Learn from Petraeus. And avoid this kind of epic failure. I got three points for you. And then a third point, we're going to unpack that a little bit more. We got three points for the third point. So stay with me. <laughs> number one, if you're taking notes, never say it could never happen to me. Never say it. We are all subject to the same weakness. I want you to say, I want you to say two words with me. Same weakness. Ready? One, two, three. Same weakness. We're all subject to it. There is not a single person in this room who has not been tempted with moral failure of some sort. I mean, it might play out in a different angle, but it's the same temptation. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Those three things, that's what we're dealing with. That's what we're struggling with, every single one of us. Here's what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. 
And in very famous scripture, it, it, it gives us a lot of hope, but I only want to look at the first sentence in the scripture. It says, no temptation has seized you except what is what? common to man. In other words, we all deal with the same stuff. Some of you are listening to the lies of Satan telling you that you're the only one. You're the only one that has these issues. Wrong. We all have the same stuff. Again, they play themselves up with different faces and different names, but they're all the same temptations. And never fall for the lie that you're strong enough. Never fall for the lie that it won't happen to you. You've got the safeguards in place. You're good. And never fall for the lie that, well, I'm strong in my faith. Look, the devil is patient. He'll wait out that little spiritual revival you got going on right now. And he'll have Bathsheba bathing on top of that roof before you know it. Starts with a look. And then it starts with flirtation. And we got all these things online now, all these chats, all these programs through which we can start doing things like we never were able to do before. It's getting worse and worse, getting harder and harder. And the start to win this battle, to avoid this failure, starts with admitting it could happen to me. Because when I say that, I take myself off of the pedestal I put myself on. And I see myself the way God sees me and a way that I know that I was born. I was born in sin. I was born to rebel. I was born weak. And it keeps me dependent on my Savior, Jesus. Lord, I know who I am. Help me to be strong when I am weak. Never say it could never happen to you. I read an interesting article on David Petraeus after the, the scandal broke out. It was from a leadership magazine. The title of the article says, Leadership Lessons, Petraeus and the Value of Failure. The Value of Failure. It says, as General Petraeus is asking himself what went wrong, I would like to propose a counterintuitive answer. Petraeus went wrong by never going wrong. A friend of the general told CNN, he sees this as a failure, and this is a man who has never failed at anything. Successful people believe that they can get away with it, marriage counselor Emily Brown says. I talked to a group of men who had all become millionaires by the age of 40, and they had all had affairs. They don't even see the danger. They think to themselves, everything else in my life has worked out, so why not this? They believe they have some sort of magic power, some sort of secret success that has meant that they can have everything they want and they are invulnerable. The truth is that General Petraeus probably made many mistakes, but he didn't take time to learn from them. Or more hauntingly, he got away, from his, got away with his mistakes by benefiting from everyone else's care and attention, like a man who drinks too much and drives home safely. And she ends the article with this, no one is infallible. And those who think they are, are probably going to be the most disappointed. <laughs> Some of you need to learn this. You are, in, you, are, you are fallible. You are finite. You are subject to weakness, and you are subject to disappointment. And knowing that keeps you in the right state of mind. That's where it starts. Never say, it could never happen to me. Number two, never forget you're human. Everybody, when we read that story about uh, Samuel with the sheep and the guy with a lot of sheep and he takes the one with the one sheep and he sacrifices the one sheep for his friend, and then did you hear David? Did you hear his response? I want to put it up on the screen so that we're sure to receive this. It says, then David's anger was kindled greatly against the man. 
And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, this man deserves to die. Wow, really, David? He took a sheep. Death? So he says, he shall pay back the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Notice the hypocrisy of David. Do you know what leads to epic failure? Not only thinking that it could never happen to you, but here's the other thing. Focusing too much on the failures of others instead of looking at you. Never forget that when you're busy pointing the finger at someone else, there are one, two, three, pointing right back at you. We're so good at it, aren't we? We're so good at it. We're so good at seeing other people's failures and other people's mistakes. I mean, there are Christians in churches in America who actually believe that that is your spiritual gift. <laughs> That's what I, that, the Lord has called me to do that. It's like, no, he hasn't. <laughs> Jesus actually said, how dare you look at the speck in your friend's eye when there's a log in your own. I want to be very careful, too, that we don't just leave the speck in the friend's eye. Jesus actually says, take care of the log so that you can then help your friend with the speck. So we got to be very aware that not only could it happen to us, but that many times it happens to us because we're too busy focusing on everybody else's problems and not looking at the fact that we also are subject to weakness. Starts here. People, people say, well, I just trust my heart. <laughs> I just go, you know, whatever my heart, I'm going to go with my gut. What? Do you know what the Bible says about your heart? Do you know what Jeremiah, Jeremiah says? The heart of man is deceptive. It's desperately wicked. It's not just wicked. It's desperately wicked. Jesus said, out of the heart comes evil thoughts. Jesus said this. He, out of the heart comes murderous thoughts adultery, lies, covetousness, gossip, slander. That didn't come from other people. That comes from with you, within you. It's in there already. So take care of your spiritual condition. Keep yourself aware that you are weak, yes, but also keep your eyes on your walk with Christ. Take your spiritual pulse once in a while. How's it going? Get, 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 get your act Together with God, focus on you and stop pointing out everybody else's sin. You know that they say this. Psychologists have done studies that the people who are the most adamant about other people's sins are the ones with the biggest closets full of them. Like you got those people that are just like, yeah, yeah, yeah that person over there, yeah, and then it comes out later, it was them. They were doing it the whole time. Like Ted Haggard, right, a couple, month, couple years ago head of the National Evangelical Association, pastor of a 15,000-member church. I mean, this guy is successful. And when it comes out, he's doing meth. And he's having a homosexual affair. And this is a guy who railed and railed and railed about that. You got to be careful. You got to be careful. It's, it, it's, 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 the, the devil is deceitful, and, and, and our hearts are deceitful. And, and when we think we're strong enough, we're fighting a losing battle because we are not strong enough. Only in Christ can we find the strength to sustain our walk with him. I, I would like to say this. By grace, we are saved, and by grace, we are sustained. 
It doesn't just start our faith. It sustains our faith. Number three, never let failure define you. I want to say something. Good news is because of Jesus, we have a choice. Because of Jesus, we have a choice. We can either let our failure define us or we can just let it refine us. And the choice is yours. And I feel like I'm talking to some people. You needed this message today because you aren't failing yet, but you're about to. And then I'm talking to some people today that you are failing. You are in the midst of it. And if you let it go unchecked and you ignore what I'm saying, you will pay the price. And this is God's grace to you now. This is, this is him going like this. Hello. I don't want that for you. So number one, about never let your failure define you, here's how it happens. Number one, God speaks. Number one, God speaks. Listen, um, any redemption from failure begins and ends with God. Any, any regrouping, any resurrection from, from epic failures in your life, if you never hear me say another thing, listen to this, that, that Jesus Christ is the one who starts the work of bringing you back from the edge of the brink. It starts with God. God speaks to David. I like how it says it in 2 Samuel 12, 1, when Nathan shows up after the deed has been done and the child has been born. Look at, the ne- look at the first sentence in the chapter. It says, the Lord sent Nathan to David. This wasn't Nathan's doing. This was God's doing. God speaks. God comes and he says, stop. I know what you're doing. You're out of sorts. You're out of bounds. And you're going to hurt yourself. You know, some of us, we don't like it. We don't like it when God kind of like confronts us. Because you know what? When God confronts us, he doesn't crack the sky open and stick his head in and say, hey, you, stop. He doesn't do that, right? What does he do, though? He sends you pastors. He sends you other Christians who care for you and love you. He sends you a small group leader. He sends you people in your church, an elder. And I'm getting really concerned for the Church of America. I think the reason why we are so weak is because we will not listen to the authorities that God has put in place. Somebody comes and confronts us with our stuff, with our junk in this church, and we say, how dare you? And we just leave the church and go to another one. There's an old saying, it's so true, wherever you go, there you are. <laughs> and, and, and you got like this litany of churches you just messed up. One, bang, 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 because you never listen to God. You never listen to a message like this. You said, you listen and you said, well, that's for somebody else. And you walked out and you said, I'll just carry on my way. And you're the one, you're the one, not me, not me. I got no, not, I got no dog in this fight. I'm talking about you. You're the one that's going to pay the price. Let God speak. If he rebukes you, listen, listen. If he rebukes you, it's a gracious rebuke. It's a loving rebuke. Do you, you know, my children, when uh, we live on a street, uh, it's a busy street, and then there's like a side street. Sometimes they run out, and they don't look both ways. I jump out the window almost. 
I jumped through the door. I said, hey, Connor, how many times have I told you to look both ways? He's like, I'm sorry, Dad. You know, you get stop. I do not go out the door and say, Connor, you might want to look both ways, honey. Oh, oh, you don't want to. Oh, you don't want to look both ways. Oh, oh, your friends don't look both ways. Okay, I, I understand. Everybody's entitled to their opinion. It's okay. I don't do that junk. I jump on him. I scare the life out of him. You know why? Because I love him. You know why God gets mad at sin? Do you know why God hates sin? Do you know why God has these standards and these rules? Some of you see them as restrictive. No, they're protective. God loves you. God cares about you. If he didn't care about you, he'd say, go on and do whatever you want. I don't care. But because he loves you, he rebukes you. So I, uh, the psalmist said, I, I was glad when I was afflicted because I learned to trust your decrees. I was glad about that. Amen? Listen to God. Listen to God. And I want to say one more thing in this pluralistic culture that we face right now. You don't have to agree with it. Like this, is, this is what I see in American churches right now. Here's where we do. We used to be a church. We used to be a culture where God's word was here and we were here. Now we've become the culture where God's word is there and we're here. Saying, well, I saw it on Modern Family. President Obama thinks it's okay. And now we're making judgments on God's word based on the culture's word. And let me be very, very clear. We will pay the price. Put it up here again. Put it up here again and say, yes, Lord, I, I submit to your authority. Number one, God speaks. Number two, David confesses. I love this. Look what it says. David said to Nathan, first words out of his mouth, I have sinned. He just lets it out. This is the king, okay? He could have said to Nathan, get out. How dare you talk to me like that? I am your king. But he doesn't, does he? He models a behavior that is lost for many of us. He comes clean immediately. He's been caught with his hand in the cookie jar. And God says, David, you are jacking your life up. He says, you're right. I'm sorry. I've sinned. I've sinned. Confess. Confess. I know we're Protestants, and we've gotten away from confession because we're scared of how, you know, confession is perceived. Oh, I don't want to tell anybody. How, I don't want to tell no priest my stuff. That's crazy. What are you talking about? I don't want to do that. And I agree. I don't want to know your stuff. <laughs> but there is a biblical mandate for confessing our sins. Not just to God, but to other people. James chapter 5, verse 16 some of you might want to write this one down. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed, that you may be healed. There are people in this room right now, you keep doing the same stupid sin over and over and over again, and you keep praying the same stupid prayer, and your prayer is this, God, forgive me. I promise I'll never do it again, and you do it again, and you just can't get over it. You just can't beat that sin. Do you know why? You need to confess it. 
There are husbands sitting here right now in this room. You need to go home and sit down with your wife and tell her. And it's going to hurt. But ultimately, it's going to heal you. And wives, if that happens, please be gentle because he's opening up. There might be wives here. You've got to go home and tell your husbands. There might be people here. You've got to find yourself a small group for the first time in your life and get in relationship with Christians who will support you and help you and listen to you and not judge you and not condemn you, be compassionate with you, and ultimately pray for you, and you will finally be healed. Well, isn't it worth it? Isn't it worth it? I mean, how's it working on your own? How's it going right now? Stop. You can't do it yourself. That was point one. Never say I can't do it. Never say it'll never happen to me. So admit that you're weak. And by the way, when you admit that you're weak to somebody else, they're going to say, yeah, I went through the same thing. Yeah, I hear you. Because we're all subject to the same, <clears throat> the same weaknesses. Number three, finally, God speaks. David confesses. God cleanses. That's the good news. Says David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord, and immediately, look at how quick, immediately after the confession, and Nathan said to David, the Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. The punishment for adultery in the Old Testament was death. And David should have been killed. But he wasn't. Why? He confessed. He confessed. Let it out. Come clean. Adrian Rogers, the great preacher of the 20th century, said this, and, and, and listen to this great line. He says, God covers whatever we uncover, but God uncovers whatever we cover. You try to cover it, you try to keep it quiet, I guarantee you God's going to uncover it. Guarantee it. But if you confess it, if you uncover it, if you take the initiative and say, before it gets out of hand, before it takes your life over and you say, here's my stuff, God is so gracious. He's going to sit there and he's going to keep the damage to a minimum because he loves you and he knows you've come clean. And I'm telling you, some of you, this is what you got to do. You got to do it. It will change and save your life. Learn from David. Learn from David Petraeus. It says in this, John, 1 John 1, 8 and 9. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Only thing worse than failing God, only thing worse than failing God is failing to run to him after you've failed him come to him. I want you to stand with me.